is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Come, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be, since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. Son of God. Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, for nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me according to your word. Could you not? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The moment I heard your voice, my child leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believes the Lord's words. <sighs> Are you frightened? Yes. A husband has been chosen for me. The law says I was to remain pure for a year. How is he to believe this? Stay with us then. We will pray for guidance. Elizabeth? Why is it me God has asked? I am nothing. Oh, child. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ashley Lentz. I'm one of the pastors here. That is a clip from the movie Nativity Story. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. But it speaks to the context in which we find our scripture reading this morning. You heard Kara read for us uh, Mary's Song of Praise. And I think what that clip does really, really well is show us that perhaps the circumstances in which Mary sings her Song of Praise are not that praiseworthy. Uh, it was a dark time. When I think about Christmas, I, I think about like this glowy, bright, glittery snow globe. And Jesus didn't enter a world that was bright and glittery. He came into a dark, sad, oppressed world, people who really desperately needed hope. And so I want to back us out from uh, Mary's Song of Praise a little bit to talk more about that context in which, in which we find Mary and the angel visits her. And so I'm going to read uh, from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 26. It's exactly what you saw in that clip, so maybe that will play through your mind a little bit more as I read this. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Luke writes, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will have no end. Any ordinary human at this point would go, what? I don't understand what you're saying. And that's kind of what Mary does. Mary uh, responds. She says, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And again, as a regular human, you go, what? This is really weird. The power of the Most High will overshadow me. And now you're mentioning my, my distant cousin, Elizabeth? Like, that's wonky. And instead, Mary responds, as you saw in the clip, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary's courage is remarkable. It's really miraculous, honestly. The, the context in which we find Mary, like I said, it's not bright and shiny and glittery. It's dark and oppressive. Mary lived under the influence of the Roman Empire. And at the time, Herod the Great was the one ruling. And Herod wasn't so great. On the screen, you'll see uh, a picture of Herod the Great. And, and he had expanded the Roman Empire. And so that dark black line is the outline of the Roman Empire at the time uh, that Jesus was born. And Nazareth is, is north in that yellow area, and they travel, if you remember, Joseph and Mary travel south to Bethlehem, which is south in, in the yellow, just past Jerusalem. So they have a long trip ahead of them. The Roman uh, Empire was not a good place to live. In the movie, if you've ever seen it, they do a really good job of portraying uh, the, the tyranny, the fear that everyone lived under all the time. As that movie begins, you see Roman soldiers ride into Nazareth. And for the people in Mary and Joseph's village who can't pay their taxes, they take their kids. They take anything that they have, their livestock. It's not a good place to live. And so Mary gets this news under quite literal oppression. That's scary. Herod was someone who would kill people just for the sake of killing them. He killed one of his wives and, and his kids by that wife and his, that wife's family to make a point. And so she lives under fear each and every day anyway, but not to mention Mary's Jewish. And what the angel has just told her is a major break in Jewish law. You don't have kids outside of wedlock. Mary is now labeled as impure, unholy. And in fact, when Mary and Joseph make that southern trip uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, when the census is taken a little bit later in the story, I was reading a commentary this week that said, Families didn't go for, for censuses to be taken. Men went to their hometowns. But the reason that Joseph takes Mary is to protect her because if he leaves her alone in Nazareth, most likely she would be stoned for what has happened to her. 
And this is the context in which Mary receives news that she's going to bear a child. And you and I know the Christmas story, perhaps, that it's the Savior of the world. It's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who will be born to Mary. Mary doesn't know that. And in fact, Jewish hope in the first century is not at all that God's going to step on earth in the flesh. Jewish hope in the first century was kind of threefold. They were looking for this new age to be ushered in for God's people, and that included three things. The first one was the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, The Jewish people have been overturned by different oppressors under different empires for centuries and centuries. And so that temple has been destroyed from the beautiful temple that Solomon built. It was conquered by Babylonians and then Assyrians. And Herod actually rebuilds the temple to try to get the Jewish people on his side a little bit. But this hope of a new age for the Jewish people included the restoration of the temple to the glory that it once was when Solomon built it. The second thing that Jewish hope in Mary's day uh, consists of is uh, freedom from oppression. It is the story of the Jewish people to be oppressed all the time. You read through the Old Testament, they're constantly being oppressed and scattered, and then they come back and then they're oppressed and scattered. And it just goes on and on and on. And in Mary's day, it was Rome. And so this hope, this new age that somebody would usher in, that the prophets spoke about, it would be a political ruler, someone who could overturn Rome. And last but not least, the Jewish people would regain, they would be able to enjoy their promised land. It goes back to what God promised Moses a long, long time ago, that the Israelites were chosen people, they were set apart, and they would have this land that is theirs. This is still the tension in the Middle East today that God's chosen people do not inhabit their promised land. It's not theirs. And so this is the hope that Mary knows really, really well. And it doesn't take God incarnate to do this. In fact, what the people were expecting was a political ruler, a king figure. And N.T. Wright, uh, one of the greatest theologians of our century, he describes it this way. He writes, Certainly there is no reason to hypothesize any widespread belief among the Jewish people that the coming Messiah would be anything other than an ordinary human being called by Israel's God to an extraordinary task. I find that super fascinating because we are so enveloped in our version of the Christmas story that we think when this angel visits Mary, certainly she knows it's God incarnate. She doesn't. She has no idea. It's not what anyone was expecting. There is no reason to hypothesize any widespread belief that the coming Messiah would be anything other than an ordinary human called by Israel's God to an extraordinary task. So Mary thought she was going to give birth to a great ruler, maybe a king. He'd be set apart by God, sure. But God in the flesh? No way did she know that's what was coming. And so Mary finds herself in a very real tension, living under this oppression. Now she's fallen out of favor with her community, and she's carrying a child that's probably an ordinary human for all she knows. And so she rushes off to Elizabeth. If you remember, Gabriel mentions her cousin Elizabeth when he visits her, and certainly she thinks that must be a safe place. And Luke records that Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women 
and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Mary's courage, her obedience. Elizabeth calls her blessed because she trusts in what, the, in what God has called her to. And this comment is what propels Mary into her song of praise that you heard read for us. And I just want to pull out a couple of things of that song that seem really important. The first thing is that Mary repeats that she's going to rejoice in God. Remember, this is probably not something to rejoice about. And Mary says twice, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Then Mary talks about her identity. She says, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary's identity is not rooted in what the people around her think, what her family thinks, what her town thinks, what other Jews are going to think. Mary's identity is rooted in what God has said about her. The world would not call her blessed in this season of her life. The world would call her impure and worthy of death. And she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And then Mary acknowledges God's work in her life and in the world around her. She says, the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. In the midst of the real life tension, Mary says, he has done great things for me. And then she says, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. She knows God's at work in the world around her all the time. And as a good Jewish, Jewish person, Mary knows her history. And so she ends her song of praise. She says, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. She knows that she is part of God's larger story. She hearkens all the way back to Abraham, the father of their faith, if you will. And she knows that she's just a piece in this really large story that God is playing out, and she's going to play an important role in that. I can't imagine that Mary's expectation was for really good things to happen. We read this and are really excited because it's the Christmas story. But I think about, wow, the real-world implications that Mary was living under. And I really wonder what her expectation was. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to this baby? And when we talk about the Christmas story, there's a couple people that we often glaze over because there's so many other great things to talk about at Christmas. We don't do it on purpose. But there are people who expectantly await this Savior, this God in the flesh. And they are Simeon and Anna. And so after Jesus is born, we get to Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. They're in the temple. And they're really important because they are witnesses to a great expectation. And the thing about witnesses is that they were, by Jewish law, very important. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, if somebody has committed a crime, uh, God tells Moses, one witness is not sufficient to convict someone. There must be two or more. And this is so important that Jesus actually references this law in John chapter 8. He says, I'm the light of the world. And the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day who knew the Jewish law, said, you can't claim that. And Jesus said, I am one witness, and my father is the second witness. He uses his law, uh, the law of God, against the people who knew the law. 
And what Simeon and Anna are to this great expectation, they're the two witnesses who confirm for us that this is God in the flesh, that there is hope in the midst of the turmoil of the world. I'm going to pick up in Luke 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine being ready for death and God's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. This is where Simeon finds himself. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Their expectation was not God in the flesh. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. This expectant waiting. We use that word around the Advent season as Christmas approaches, this expectation that we have. And at this time last year, I was two weeks away from having our first baby. And when you talk about a woman who is pregnant, you talk about her expecting. And more than any other time in my life, I know exactly what they mean when they say expectant hope. When you are that pregnant, all you want to do is hold that baby in your arms. Like you are ready because it is not fun in my opinion. Some other people might have different opinions. But anywho, there is a great expectation around this child. There's expectant hope. Uh, Author um, and speaker Jen Wilkin says this. She says, The Advent witness of Simeon and Anna exhorts us to walk in expectant hope. He who promises is faithful. All of the things that have led to Mary singing her song of praise. This baby that's about to be born, it gives us expectant hope, pregnant hope, if you will. It is bursting, it's coming. And in the midst of the many different feelings that Mary had, she chose to praise God. And I wonder what feelings you have this Christmas season. I wonder what your expectation is for Christmas time. My expectation for Christmas is always very, very high. I love Christmas, like all things Christmas, okay? Uh, My house, every year, I light stuff up in my yard. And with Christmas lights, not with fire. And uh, yeah, I thought I should clarify that. Uh, 
every year I tell my husband, I'm going to get one more thing that lights up to put in our yard. And so hopefully in like 10 years, I'm the house that people drive by and they go like, Christmas threw up all over her house. And I'm going to be like, yes, that is a compliment and a half. Uh, I, I redecorate the whole interior of my house. Like everything that actually hangs on the walls comes down so that Christmas stuff can go on the walls. It's crazy. I love Christmas. I have this expectation of joy like no other season in the world. I love snow. Literally, I love it all. And this year, more than any year I've ever felt in this season, I've had overwhelming moments of deep sadness. Sadness that just like overtakes me. I just burst into tears. I think part of it might have to do with my baby, our firstborn, almost being a year old. I literally have no idea where the year went, and it makes me really, really sad. I'm glad he's growing up, blah, 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 but it makes me, it really makes me sad. But also, I just, the world's hard. I go on hospital visits, and I just cry with people. Stuff happens in our families. Tyler got a call last night from his dad, and his dad, this is last night, okay, so I didn't preach this yesterday. And his dad says, your uncle just died out of nowhere. And I'm like, what? My expectant hope is crushed this time of year. And as I pulled into the building here on Friday, as I was wrapping up this message, I thought, how do I really portray this? It was right in front of the building. There was a hearse parked right next to the bright red letters, J-O-Y. And I thought, what mourners are going to walk into the building for this funeral and experience joy today? That doesn't seem right. That seems really backward. And isn't this the tension we live in all the time? Isn't this exactly what Mary was facing when she decided to praise God? As I found myself feeling all of these big emotions... Uh, I was at the Pentatonics concert last Thursday night, and I thought, okay, the pinnacle of my Christmas season will be to sing Christmas carols with my mom and my uncle at Pentatonics. And I thought, all the sadness will be washed away. I will no longer, like, carry the heaviness of the world. It will all be fixed by this concert. And last Thursday night, if you were on your way to Pentatonics, perhaps you remember that it was pouring rain, and there was, like, standstill traffic getting from all directions getting into Wells Fargo Arena. And I was like... This is not Christmassy. This is not my expectation. This is not fun. La, la, la. Like, I just, this isn't fun. And my uncle dropped us off, and so my mom and I head inside. He's a gentleman, and it was raining, so it was lovely that we got to go inside. So we, we head up to our seats, and we couldn't have been farther away from the stage. Like, I could have touched the ceiling of Wells Fargo Arena, and I was like, okay, like, check number two. Gross. And I'm like barely holding it together, you guys. I just, this overwhelming feelings of sadness. The world's hard. And so I sit down and I look at my mom and she's like, how are you? And I'm like, meh. And I said, how are you? And she said, I'm sad. And I said, really? I said, I'm sad too. And she just told me the heavy stuff in her life. She told her the heavy stuff that's happening in our life. And I just cried. And then the music started. And I cried even harder. The opening group is called Girl Named Tom, and I think they won The Voice. And they were, fan- oh, this is our selfie. I forgot about that. That's, so 
Mom and I go to Christmas concerts almost every year. And so I have many selfies of us uh, at Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith who've been in town the last few years. And so mom's like, let's take a Christmas selfie. And I'm like, but I'm sad. That's literally what I said before that picture was taken. And you know, sometimes you smile and take the picture anyway so that you can show it to people later. But so anyway, the, the music starts and I'm just weeping. A girl named Tom is the group and she opened with, Mary, did you know? And it was quiet, and it was still. And the words just like hit my soul. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? There's no way Mary knew that. I sat there, and I just cried. I was overwhelmed with the humanness of our Savior. He was born as a baby, 100% human, to step into all of our darkness too, not just Mary's or Joseph's or the Roman Empire's darkness. He steps into our darkness. Author Fred Sanders writes this. He says, The Son of God took on the very human nature that every human has. No human is excluded from this almighty act of God the Son. Everyone is implicated. Especially in church world, we tend to graze over the birth of Jesus to get to Easter. Like, Easter's kind of more important because Jesus dies and resurrects to defeat death so that we can have eternity with, with God, right? That's a big deal, don't get me wrong. And it is more important, probably. But we cannot miss what happens in the Incarnation. And Jesus becoming flesh. His humanness implicates every single one of us. And so I'm sitting there overwhelmed that God would be my hope in the weariness that I felt. That he would step into that as a baby. And then a song or two later, they started singing, Oh Holy Night. And I cried even harder. It was embarrassing even. Like I was like just wiping tears from my face for at least 30 minutes. O Holy Night speaks to the real tension that we live in all the time and how Jesus steps into that, that he's our hope in that. And so I've asked Sean to sing O Holy Night for us. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn
truly he taught us to love one another his law is love and his gospel is peace chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name Christ is the your souls feeling what your expectations for Christmas are if they're being met or not but I know that Mary was really surprised and faced a lot of turmoil a lot of fear a weary world rejoices doesn't seem normal right why would we rejoice in our weariness because we know hope those 30 minutes, I just sat there thinking, wow, I'm so glad I know Jesus. I'm so glad I know hope that will literally walk into darkness. That's why a weary world rejoices. How do we rejoice? We fall on our knees and we praise God in the midst of all the real life tension, just like Mary did. Why do we rejoice as a weary world? It's right there in what Elizabeth says to Mary. Because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. If you need a reason to rejoice this Christmas season, look no further than Christmas Day. We believe that God will do what he says. We believe that Jesus is our hope on earth. Come back. We'll rejoice together in that truth that we worship a God who steps right into our darkness, into the sadness of our world. I hope over the next few days, before you come to Christmas Eve services, you can feel pregnant with expectant hope in the midst of all the other stuff that I know is going on in your life. 